Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Whether you liked to curl up with a book and headphones, beeline to the bar for a conversation with strangers, or you were banging out emails with your laptop perched on your knees, there's no place quite like an airport. Since 9-11, airports increasingly became their own worlds, sealed off from the places around them, and in recent years, ever more realistic simulations of the city they're in. And now, we're in a moment where airports are facing huge challenges because of COVID. So today, we're going to reacquaint ourselves with this archipelago of runways and roller bags, tourist traps, and turkey wraps. It's Friday. Let's fly. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Yeah. Yo, yo, it's time to plane leaving. Right. See you at the airport. Airports, remember them. Today we reflect on how they've changed, what they mean to us, and what you can expect on your next flight. We all have our own relationship to these places, whether they hold our fears of flying, bring us back to amazing vacations, or remind us of when we first arrived here in the U.S. But as the planes have changed over the decades, so have the spaces. An airport reflects the society around it. Post-9-11 security, the rise in self-service retail, ubiquitous devices, and now, of course, COVID. And they're often the first, last, and only impression a traveler has of a city. Singapore's airport dazzles. Newark Airport, less so. So what do our Bay Area airports say about us and the times we live in? The new Harvey Milk Terminal boasts Heath tiles in the restrooms, selfie-friendly lighting, and improved acoustic design. Get ready to talk about your favorite and your most hated airports. As many people prepare to return to air travel, we want your stories. So give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That is, confess your love for Oakland Airport, like me, at 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch about that weird conspiracy theory about DIA on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or you can email your justified hatred for Dulles to forum at kqed.org. Joining us first today, we have Elaine Glusak. She's a travel columnist for The New York Times. Welcome to the show. Hey, Alexis. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We also have Harriet Baskis, a freelance travel journalist and author of the blog, Stuck at the Airport. Welcome. Thank you so much. Um, so, Elaine, let's start with you. A lot of people haven't flown for a while. Um, can you just tell me, like, the top three things you've noticed that have really changed the most in a post-COVID world or a, a world living with COVID, really? 
Yeah. Well, okay. So here first to start is a good one. Like it's way cleaner. I swear you can eat off the floor, but please don't. <laughs> um, yeah. So they all went into the whole like cleaning and that's, that's a great thing. Um, masks obviously are mandated. So, you know, you're going to walk around and talk to people in muffled tones and try to keep your distance. But that's sort of a third thing. Like you are supposed to keep your distance. There's a lot of six foot social distancing stickers, but really human behavior takes over once people are entering the planes and that sort of collapses. So just, you know, my advice is just wear like, you know, a good fitting mask. Yeah. Um, are there things that people like must know going in or, or if they've got anxiety about flying at this time? Um, is it just about, you know, yeah, a good mask, maybe an N95, kn 95 something like that? Uh, or is there anything else that people uh, could have to prepare themselves? Yeah, no, I mean, like security really is the same. I think people want to know what's different and really like bag checking, all that stuff is really the same. But when you go through security, you still have your mask on. Um, the TSA agent is behind like plexiglass and they're going to ask you to drop your mask briefly, like momentarily while they're looking at your ID and then you put it back on. So a lot of that is, is very much the same. I would say um, with regard to airports, like what's different is like not everything is open in every mm. airport you know, um, flying is still down, you know, significantly. And so not every concession, you know, thinks it's worthwhile for them to be in business. Um, so you might not like your favorite breakfast spot might not be open. Like for example, mine isn't at O'Hare. Um, so just be prepared for that. You may not be able to get everything. And that means the lines may be longer at the concessions that are open. Um, yeah. So I think everything just takes a little more patience, a little slower going, and maybe give yourself a little extra time to make up for that. Got it. Thank you for that. Um, Harriet Baskis, author of Stuck at the Airport, um, what's your favorite airport as someone who spends a lot of time in these places? And, and what's an airport that you avoid? And you can give us the whys there, too. Okay. Well, um, I have to say that San Francisco Airport is my favorite. In fact, I flew home yesterday from San Francisco. My flight was at scheduled at noon. I got there at 8 a.m. so that I could have time to hang out and see all the art and check out which stores were open and just see what it felt like. Wow. Do you often do that? Like get there four hours early just to just to chill? Always, always. And if I've got a connecting flight, I really, um, if I need to have a layover somewhere, I try to choose an airport like San Francisco or some other airport where um, I know there's stuff to do and I choose the longest layover I can get. Oh, wow. What's your favorite amenity to be inside an airport? Uh, well, um, I don't fly an, enough to be um, in, to get into the lounges all the time. So I think my favorite amenity are the really nice chairs or some airports have like quiet gates um, where they in, they have nice like sofas and sometimes they have book exchanges. So I like those spaces that are just nice where you've got maybe an outdoor deck or you've got um, a library or something that you can just hang out and spread out and, and feel safe taking a nap sometimes. Nice. Elaine Glusek, uh, you know, I was intrigued by your recent New York Times story, the trouble with airports and how to fix them at the amount of attention that was actually given to sound design and the soundscape. Um, I mean, is it just a matter of just like turning off the dang CNN or is there more to it than that? No, that's kind of it. I mean, <laughs> that goes a long way. You know, um, bringing temperatures down has become really important, I think, especially 
post-COVID when people are experiencing a lot more stress. And I think we're a lot more aware of like mental health and, um, have, you know, people are already somewhat stressed, you know, trying to make their flights, paying attention to the clock. And then to hear, you know, a lot of barking going on, perhaps it's like a contentious talk show, <laughs> you know, you, it's nothing like adding anxiety to your trip. So this, um, this trend to silent airports really grew out of Europe mostly, um, where they really just stopped sort of broadcasting to the entire airport, you know, flight 293 to Helsinki is boarding. Um, instead, that announcement might go out, you know, it might not go in at all at London City Airport. They don't even have announcements. You just have to pay attention to your phone or the screens that say, hey, we're, we're boarding now. Um, but it's, it's, um, it's growing here in the United States. Again, I think COVID has sort of helped that. Um, San Francisco has done a great job. I think they're the leaders in that, um, in creating the silent airport. They started doing it before COVID, um, but it's really taken off with the new terminal. Um, but I noticed even, I flew out of O'Hare last week and I was completely shocked to see that the, that CNN was on mute and, you know, they had the, the subtitles so you could, you could follow along. Um, and that's all well and good until someone comes along. I was flying out of, um, Steamboat Springs, Colorado, uh, last month, and the football game was on mute, and then the janitor went by and like turned up the sound because <laughs> <laughs> you know the janitor couldn't like you know be you know couldn't like hang around to read the captions. <laughs> um, what's something that kind of used to be standard in airports that that you miss? Oh, that's kind of gone. Oh, away. I mean, well, gosh, I mean, I mean, everybody, everybody, sort of pines for the pre-TSA days. I mean, mm. obviously we need enhanced security, but there was nothing like, you know, being really late, pulling up to the curb and running right through, you know, or just even having friends with you, like, you know, seeing your family off. I remember, um, you know, and my child was super, super small. This was like, you know, pre 9-11 and like they met me at the gate, you know, with like flowers, like everybody misses that a little bit that's all just been pushed sort of like you know to baggage claim basically you can still have those reunions right um, but right, i sort right. of miss that i sort of miss that easy coming and going i mean at the same time like because we have to spend so much more time behind on the air side they call it yeah you know the airports have gotten so much better like the, like the food's better the bars are better like the shopping's better you know generally speaking not everywhere um, so I think we, because we do have to spend more time at the airports, we have, you know, that's the compensation. Yeah. Harriet, it does seem to me that as the sort of airside, as we're talking about, you know, the, once you pass through TSA security has gotten more sealed off from the city, that airports have tried to like add more of the city inside the actual, you know, bubble, uh, of air travel. Um, what's a, what's an airport that does that really successfully, you think? Well, um, I'm on my way to Amsterdam this week, and I know that that airport does a really great job of um, having a museum. There's a, a there's a local museum. There's a library. There's um, just a nice canal right big, through there. Yeah, big tulips on the wall. I mean, stuff like that. Um, in the in the U.S., I'm thinking um, the Fort Wayne Airport is just one of my favorites. Very small, but you definitely feel the the Midwest friendly, I guess, because when you land, somebody is standing there or they used to with a little basket and with a, with cookies, uh, wrapped cookies from a bakery down the street, welcoming you to town. I thought that was a joke when someone told me that was going to happen, but that happens. 
they actually came out and were just like, <laughs> welcome yeah. to the Midwest. Here's a cookie. Yep. Volunteers stand there and hand out cookies and they're good. We have some uh, comments that I, I want to read from some of our listeners. Jack writes, the airport in Charleston, South Carolina, has rocking chairs. It's amazing how that small amenity makes an airport feel so pleasant. Definitely felt like I had arrived in the South when I saw those. Eric writes, the fastest time I've ever clocked is probably the 37 gates and one terminal that I ran through to get to a connection in Charlotte. It was an Olympic quality run. My flight was late and they weren't going to hold the plane. Feel sorry for my seatmate as I was a sweaty mess. And Michael writes, I was flying to Europe right after 9-11 and had to make a connection through Heathrow. I saw a huge mass of very upset people who were being told by the unsympathetic and rude security personnel only one bag was allowed in the terminal transfer. As a business traveler, it wasn't a chore for me to stuff everything to my carry-on, but the number of immigrants and other travelers crying and panicking about not being able to fit everything into one bag left such a bad memory about Heathrow and their security personnel. I've literally done everything possible to avoid flying through Heathrow ever since 2001. We do want to hear from you. What's an airport that's wowed you? Or an airport that just consistently disappoints. Is there a feature you wish that more airports had? Call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. After the break, we're going to talk with some of the people who made the new terminal happen as, at SFO. So if you have questions about that, you can email them to forum at KQED.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite- Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about airports, your favorite airports, the ones you hate, what the future holds for them. Here with me are Elaine Glusak, a travel columnist for The New York Times, and Harriet Baskis, freelance travel journalist and author of the blog Stuck at the Airport. And I want to add caller Becca from Sunnyvale into our conversation. Welcome. Hi. For the past uh, four or five years, whenever I'm going to the airport, I put a few dollar bills in my pocket and I make sure to give a dollar to whoever's cleaning the bathrooms because I figure they need the recognition. And I'm sure um, I'd like to encourage other people. I'm sure they need the money. Yeah. 
True. And Elaine, you know, you mentioned that um, these airports are much cleaner because of all the deep cleaning that's been going on as well. Yeah. They are. And I salute Becca. That's a great idea. You know, every, you know, shipping someone who's really doing a service, much appreciated. Yeah. Um, I want to bring in our experts on SFO. Uh, we're joined now by Matt Needham, uh, firmwide aviation and transportation director for HOK, an architectural design firm, and Farrah Young, project manager at San Francisco International Airport, who led the Harvey Milk Terminal One project. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Fair, maybe we'll start with you. Uh, what was your approach to redesigning this terminal at SFO? Like, what were you actually trying to to optimize for? Well, we knew that the old terminal had aged itself out on so many different levels, just with um, security changes, sustainability desires, and just what people, what we all wanted when we traveled. And so, you know, we wanted to tap into uh, what made people want to fly again and want to just reignite that romance of travel. And so we had all these lofty goals and, um, you know, we set out to achieve them from the very beginning just to represent this diverse region. And then also, um, you know, give people a place where they felt good about flying. I mean, do you think it matters that much? Like, do you think the design of, of a terminal really changes people's experience of flying? I do because, you know, it's easy to simply create a box and put all the functionality in there. But when you give people, you know, I I actually, I am smiling as I I was listening to everybody um, talk about SFO because we really, we care. I mean, like you you mentioned, you know, we we choreograph our lighting so that when you look at yourself and and the reflection of yourself in the mirror, your, your face is illuminated. You know, you look your best. When you sit down, we try to give you a variety of of, um, you know, lounges and seats and tables to do what you need to do to find a quiet place uh, throughout your journey or even, you know, the museums that you talk about to, you know, help educate, communicate, give you give you a place that maybe surprises you, puts a smile on your face. I think it makes a huge difference. We have music in the restrooms, you know, <laughs> take you away from the moment of the stress of processing, you know, even myself, you know, there's anxiety. Um, and so if there's a way to just make you feel good about some part of your journey, then we're really happy about that. Um, Matt Needham, Aviation and Transportation Director for HOK, architectural design firm, which did not work on SFO, but has worked on a bunch of other places. Um, Can you tell us about sort of what the sort of trends in airport design have really been uh, and how our sort of Bay Area airport ecosystem, you know, so SFO, Oakland, San Jose, I know there's some smaller ones too, but primarily those three, kind of what role you see uh, those places playing uh, here in our region? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, you know, so I think um, airports are getting uh, a lot better. You know, historically, they, they have been kind of really you know, almost engineered for efficiency, you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and now it's a lot more, about the travel experience, um, uh, as far as talking about, you know, um, the, the actual look. When you, when you fly in an airplane, it's still pretty miraculous, right? I mean, I, I know that we have all this 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 technology and this data driven, you know, uh, uh, stuff, but you know, over fifty years ago, we started flying in metal tubes, 30, 35,000 feet in the air, <laughs> over five hundred miles an hour. You know, it's mm-hmm. pretty amazing. So 
That's why I have to fortify myself with turkey wraps before doing it. <laughs> there you just, go. To, just to deal with the awe of the experience. Yeah. I mean, I, actually, I think that's one of the difficult things about um, uh, about airport design, though, right? Because you are about to, you know, do a technologically marvelous thing. You're about to hurl yourself across the earth. And yet you're also kind of at a bus stop, you know? Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. balancing that experience seems actually like quite a difficult architectural task. Well, um, a lot of um, the, the current trends are really leaning towards more, more putting the human aspect first, right? Mm -hmm. So, yes, we want efficient facilities. We want to make sure that you don't have to wait in, in TSA forever or, you know, uh, whatever the processing might be, bad claim, whatever it is. But um, as you're through an airport, um, it, it really needs to be more of a human touch. And so one of the things that they're, you know, hospitality is, is a trend. I mean, SFO does that very well. Uh, other trends are, you know, because you're going in that, metal tube for hours with pressurized air, maybe you might want to have some fresh air and sunlight, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, before you go or as you land. Uh, and then, uh, another one might be, uh, to provide, you know, elements of nature, uh, in the airport environment itself. You know, you, you might want to have, um, you know, plants, trees, mm -hmm. things that actually represent the region that you're at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I really love this idea that uh, the kinds of experiences that we, we have in airports and these like very specialized spaces. I want to add Brooke from San Mateo into our conversation. Welcome. Thank you. Um, I, I really agree with what your guests are saying. It makes a big difference. The kind of experience you have in the airport makes a big difference on your flight. We were in Paris, uh, Charles de Gaulle. Um, waiting, and at our gate there was a piano, and my son's a musician, and he sat down and played. And the personnel, the um, United personnel, made a big deal of it. They had to be the first person on the plane. <laughs> everybody applauded, and everybody felt good for the first couple of hours of the flight because we'd all had this great experience together. Oh man, do you remember so, what he played? No, he played a range of stuff, and then started playing requests. <laughs> <laughs> so most beat stuff. Oh, that's wonderful. Hey, thank you for that uh, memory, Brooke. That is a, a really nice one. Um, Phil from San Francisco, uh, I think you've got a favorite airport you'd like to share. Yeah, and it sort of touches upon – hi, by the way. Hi. Oh, hey. Um, Thanks for calling. <laughs> thank you. Um, it sort of touches upon what your uh, guest was saying. I like Palm Springs uh, Airport. It has this sort of indoor-outdoor vibe. Um, it's small. It's the kind of airport where you get off the plane right onto the tarmac, which is kind of cool and romantic. Feels like, like right. you know, the 1960s yeah, or something. Rock star in the 1960s, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, Pope, you can kiss the ground or something. Um, but it also has plants and, and desert cactus. And as a bonus, they have a full bust of Sonny Bono. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, it has it all. It's a really cute airport, and it's like human scale. I really like it. Yeah. I mean, the other great thing about Palm Springs Airport is that it's in Palm Springs. So when you get off the plane, you're in Palm Springs, which is awesome. Yeah, um, that's a pretty good bonus, yeah. Yes. Matt, um, I also happen to know you're a fan of human scale airports as well. Yeah. You know, I, I think um, when you take a look at some of the, the larger international hubs, um, you know, Beijing, uh, for example, uh, you know, those those massive massive terminals um, are are not a human scale. I mean, we kind of joke about them calling them uh, roof architecture, right? Because they're big roofs over you know acres acres. Um, but uh, you know, I think 
my favorite airport is kind of close to Palm Springs. It's actually Long Beach Airport. Um, mm. Beautiful little uh, Art Deco terminal that uh, was renovated to be just ticketing. And then there are these little pavilions um, that uh, lead you to a concourse. And the concourse is, uh, you know, apron level. So you walk out on the, on the, and get in the aircraft like a 60s rock star, like you're saying. And, um, you know, between those two uh, concourses, uh, they're separated by palm trees and a, a wood deck. You know, it's really cool. Indoor, outdoor, takes full advantage of, of the Southern California climate. That's so nice. Let's bring in Tony from Berlin Game into the conversation. Welcome, Tony. Thank you very much. Uh, this is an amazing topic and everything. Uh, one of my favorite airports uh, would be uh, Singapore Changshi International. Um, it's kind of like a city with terminals, but what really amazed me the most is the butterfly gardens uh, at the airport itself. It was a really nice place to make a transfer and be with the butterflies. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, Harriet or Elaine, have, have you been to uh, Singapore? And, and what do you think about that sort of, you know, the, the top-ranked kind of global airports? Uh, I, this is Elaine. I have. Um, and, in fact, I'm so glad that Tony brought up the Butterfly Garden. That is just the most spectacular amenity I've seen. That's in Singapore, Changi. But they also have a free movie theater. So, and, you know, they show, like, family-friendly movies. So you can just pop in while you're trying to kill an hour. I got to watch A Dog's Purpose and got to cry. And then you can go have, like, Kaya Toast. Like, it's it's the best of Singapore right there. They really, they went over the top with that one. And, and you know, that is one that, like, Harriet, I imagine, would want to spend several hours in. <laughs> yeah, Harriet, yes, have you been? It, yeah. Absolutely. I actually, I spent 24 hours there once, <laughs> intentionally. They have um, a, a, a two-story slide that you can go down. I think if you spend like $20, you get a free ride down the slide. Um, they also, it feels like right before COVID, they opened up a kind of a standalone terminal that was really all about entertainment with the world's largest indoor waterfall um, and a Yotel right in that space. It's like a giant shopping mall with activities and I stayed in the Yotel so that I could be closer to the waterfall and closer to the airport. It is, it's designed and remember in Singapore a lot of people live in very small spaces so it's designed that people who aren't flying will just come and spend the day. Very young, do you, who worked on uh, the Harvey Milk Terminal One project, in fact led that project, do you did you see yourself as competing with those like major Asian airports or European airports that just um, are really pieces of kind of like civic infrastructure that in a way that maybe we don't think of it here in the U.S. Uh, yes and no. Actually, it's funny. Um, uh, Tingy was one of my favorites as well. I spent seven hours there uh, <laughs> prior to <laughs> building our airport. Uh, the group of us on our project actually went to the top three Asian airports before starting Terminal One. Even though we, we can't compete with that, it's a completely different market, but it was good to see, you know, what everyone's intentions were and how they went uh, about it to, uh, to achieve those goals, right? And um, a butterfly landed on my head and I thought, or, and, and my hand, and I thought it was magical. So <laughs> there's no butterfly garden um, at SFO, but I think, you know, in talking to the folks at Chengi, you know, they stuck to their intentions and they... They, they too cared about um, the public and the community. And you're right, the, they opened it up to the community to, 
to go to the airport, even if they weren't traveling and provide them amenities and, and shared with the greater community. So, and I think at SFO, you know, like you said, you know, sometimes that's the only um, experience you get of either San Francisco or the Bay Area. And so we tried to do the same thing is give you a sort of taste and a feel of, of what we have here in the small time that we get to be a shared community. Let's bring in Michael from San Francisco's Outer Sunset, who sounds like he really wants to harsh our vibe here. Go, go ahead, Michael. Hey, Alexis. Hey, everyone. Happy Friday. You know, let me start with a positive. I really like Amy's and Tacalicious, right? Great contributions of local restaurants in SFO. But I think the reality of flying is very different than what it was, let's say, 20 years ago, right? Someone had mentioned in a call earlier about, you know, 2001, post 9-11. Ever since then, we started paying for baggage, things like that. And I'm afraid it'll never go away. In fact, you know, look at how hostesses on the planes are being treated. Look at how pilots are overworked. Acknowledge the FSA system where scheduling flights daily. It's great that we have really nice bus stations, but look at the buses, y'all. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think uh, another um, criticism of, or at least, you know, a, an open question with airports, just for you, Matt Needham, is, you know, if you look at the Bay Area and you look uh, just where our airports are, and then you imagine rolling forward uh, sea level rise because of climate change, just to fully harsh our mellow here on airports for a second. Um, they're in an extremely vulnerable position uh, in the long term because of climate change. So what are architecture firms like yourself um, suggesting and what are they doing to kind of harden this infrastructure? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, well, uh, I think one example is um, the new LaGuardia uh, Terminal B. Uh, we actually just completed that. Uh, the, the second concourse is going to be opening a little bit soon. soon. Um, but, you know, we started the design of that after the Superstorm Sandy that really um, uh, raised essentially the, 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 the whole uh, uh, runway system was kind of underwater. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we did is that we um, raised all of the, the, you know, the hidden stuff that you don't find in there that you, travelers don't usually see, um, the baggage system, um, all the electrical switch gear, um, all of the kind of essential uh, facilities into like a mezzanine off of the apron level, off of kind of the ground level. And that really uh, was a direct response to um, increasing um, uh, sea level rise. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, see, we see that uh, as, a, as a real viable solution to, to get things going again. Um, you know, the runways are still gonna, you can't land on them, but after the storm goes away, uh, it recedes, you can then use you know, the facility with very, very minor uh, repair. I mean, it seems like maybe we need to change where our airports generally are located instead of like fill on the bay in the long term. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, the, the, the bay fill thing um, was the way that uh, a lot of airports were generated. I mean, look, the other thing is that you don't want an airport to be so close to, you know, uh, residence, residential areas because they kind of make a lot of noise. Right. Right. Um, and so that's I think one of the drivers uh, was to have them in these areas that no one owned. So you, okay, well, let's just fill this, this, this area with uh, this water with uh, fill and we can put an airport there. That's kind of how a lot of airports started. But um, anyway, you're right. Yeah, it's complicated. It's gonna be complicated next 50 years. Um, back to the nice, good feelings about airports. We have some favorite airports. Um, Sandy Althaus loves New Orleans. She says, 
The new New Orleans airport is small, but with a big attitude. And like the city, there are plenty of top or unique restaurants to sample. Nancy writes, Dubai is an elegant, sparkling airport with great people watching. Rachel, on the other hand, writes, I flew a lot for work pre-pandemic, and one of the airports that I try to avoid like the plague is LAX. It is icky and difficult. There's no good healthy food. And it's L.A. Susan writes, I love Santa Rosa Airport. It's a real airport. Last last comment, Jane writes uh, on the topic of things we miss. I miss the white courtesy phone in airports. My high school friends and I used to request fake pages and then laugh uproariously when we'd hear the page come over the loudspeaker. Of course, that was when you could go into the airport to greet and send off friends. Um, Harriet, is there something you miss in the airport Um, that used to be there? I'm just laughing about the white courtesy phone because, um, again, in my four hours in San Francisco yesterday, I'm pretty sure I heard a fake uh, call for somebody. So. <laughs> but um, so um, Elaine mentioned like uh, not being able to like get met at the gate with flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, I do really miss that. Um, I remember one of the last places where I saw my father healthy was at the White Plains Airport when he could mm-hmm. come um, and meet me. But I wanted to mention that some airports are bringing that back. You can get a gate pass. Um, I've been, I've spent a lot of days, staycations, I guess you'd call them, at the, at the Seattle airport the last four or five months. Detroit is doing it. You can get a day pass um, to just to go inside. meet people. Oh, wow. yes. That's a good tip. Thank you so much. We're talking about airports, your favorite airports, the ones you hate and what the future holds for them. With Elaine Bas- uh, Harriet Vasquez, excuse me, freelance travel journalist and author of the blog Stuck at the Airport, Matt Needham, an aviation and transportation director for HOK, an architectural design firm, and Farrah Young, project manager at SFO, who led the Harvey Milk Terminal One project. And we've got to say goodbye to Elaine Glusek, travel columnist for the New York Times. Thanks so much for joining us, Elaine. Hey, thanks for having me. Stay tuned for more forum, more of your comments and questions. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are talking about airports. Your favorite airports, the ones you hate, what the future holds for them. Here with me are Harriet Baskis, freelance travel journalist and author of the blog Stuck at the Airport. 
Matt Needham, firm-wide aviation and transportation director for HOK, an architectural design firm, and Farrah Young, project manager at San Francisco International Airport, who led the Harvey Milk Terminal 1 project. I have a comment I want to throw at you, Farrah, which is, Susan writes, what's up with the built-in armrests on benches that prevent anybody from getting comfortable? Feels like a McDonald's dining room. Uh, let's talk about seating. Uh, Farah at the at SFO. Uh, I wonder if she's talking about the high density seating. You know, um, that's why we have so much variety uh, of seats because we want you to have a choice. So yes, there are those high density seats with the uh, with the armrest, but there's also banquettes and booths and um, this lounge chair that I like to lovingly call the croissant uh, <laughs> because in plan it looks like a croissant. But it, there's so many just different options for you. If you want to sit by yourself or your family or group, you want to do some work, you want to go hide in a corner. And we don't have rocking chairs, but we do have these fabulous chaise lounges uh, that overlook the San Bruno Mountains. And we're actually building an, uh, an exterior green roof um, over 6,000 square feet where you can look out um, onto some plantings at all levels and just kick back and relax. Yeah, that's... That's nice. And when you go to other airports, when you go to other airports, fair, um, do you find yourself evaluating those like little things like, ooh, their bathroom is like this, their chairs are like this? Or, or are you able to sort of like suspend the professional part of your brain? No, it's, it's entirely difficult um, <laughs> because I think I've just gotten spoiled with just the standard that we set for ourselves at SFO that – uh, when I do have the opportunity to fly, um, you know, I can't help but notice little things. Um, some really great, and then some that I'm like, why? Why? Anything you've <laughs> like, like stolen from another airport and brought to SFO? Uh, well, interestingly, those chaise lounges. Um, you know, we found ourselves, I think, uh, waiting for a while. I think in Hong Kong and. We just found these lounge areas that were private and, you know, we, we made note of that. We said, you know, why don't we have more of that at SFO? We have such great views out. Um, and so for Harvey Milk, we, we brought that in. There's actually, um, there's a hidden corner if you fly out to the very end of boarding area B, um, tucked away. And then there's one right in the middle of the terminal uh, that overlooks uh, the airfield. So we did bring that back with us. Let's bring in George from Vallejo into the conversation. Welcome, George. Hi, can you hear me? I can hear you. I can hear you. Go ahead. Hi. Um, I, my favorite airport is actually no airport ever again. And my recommendation for the future of airports is that they be decommissioned. At the beginning of the pandemic for the first three months, global warming gas production dropped by 8%, which is about the amount we need to be dropping it every year to be able to save the species. And we did that not because Donald Trump signed the Paris Climate Accord or the Green New Deal was passed. We did that because we all made individual decisions to stay home. And a huge part of that was not flying. And I've taken a vow not to fly again unless absolutely necessary because we actually know how to stop global warming because we did it for three months. Hey, George, what, we're gonna how need, are you? We're going to need. Are you going to trains? Are you, are you driving an electric car? Like what's your, what's your backup transportation? We have, 
We have one car as a family instead of two. It's a hybrid electric car. We are now driving and we're not flying anywhere. We're not going to Europe, which I used to do all the time. Um, I am going to take one more flight next summer to meet family in the East Coast. And after that, I'm going to tell everybody I'm not flying anymore. I can't do it because I have a seven-year-old son. And I know that every time I get on the airplane, I can see the smoke that will be coming into his lungs when he is my age, if the species actually is around anymore. We can stop global warming because we did it, but it's going to take us not moving airports out of the way of global of, of, of you know sea level rise. It's going to take decommissioning them because we're choosing the last mode of transportation that's going to not be generating CO2 is going to be airplanes. And yeah. we have to just stop flying. Yeah. No, I appreciate your perspective, George. And I think it's actually, you know, it is a, a very serious point that we right now don't have alternative fuels. We don't have uh, electrified airplanes in, in any, like, real commercial capacity. Um, so, Matt Needham, how, how do you think about this? I mean, are you, like, boning up on your train and, you know, high-speed high rail uh, architectural skills, or do you think we'll still be um, designing and building airports long into the future? Yeah, no, I, it, it's a, it's a really good point, and um, it was an amazing three months, right? I and mean, you didn't hear any planes overhead either. You know, um, the, the the industry is trying to change. I know there's research in biofuels for for aviation fuels, uh, a lot of them, um, and and uh, some being made from like algae um, and. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a there's a ways out, um, but they're they're definitely uh, researching that and trying to do it at scale so that can actually replace um, traditional jet fuel. Um, electric uh, airplanes are coming um, now. They're not very that you can't go in great distances, but for regional hops, maybe up and down the coast. Um, I think uh, right now they have a range of about 500 miles, but um, they are coming. So what can we do in the meantime? Is really the, the kind of a responsible thing to do is to make airports as what we try to do is make airports as um, uh, environmentally friendly as possible. So uh, we just opened um, Salt Lake Airport um, and it's going to be 94 gates, a uh, huge airport. It's the first um, modern hub airport in the 21st century. And we just, um, I think last month we were just, um, uh, we just got LEED Gold certification, mm-hmm. and that really is a it's a benchmark, if you will. And and we tried to do as much as we could uh, to make the the airport as sustainable as possible. So one of the things that you very simple uh, when aircraft are on the ground um, and using um, uh, they they have auxiliary engines in the back that don't power the plane but power their systems like air conditioning. If and and so we we traditionally. Airports kind of have little individual like uh, like uh, air conditioning units um, at each gate, and uh, we we made a, a much more central plant, if you will, much much better efficiency than those. Um, lots of things that we we, we did uh, to try to really stem that tide, if yeah. you will. Yeah, and it's I mean it's gonna be complicated. If I were a betting person, I would say we probably will probably see this past you know few decades as a sort of golden age of, of aviation when we were able to, to fly much more easily and without thinking about uh, the CO2 emissions that we're, we're putting in there. 
Um, let's run back to some calls. Ben from Palo Alto, uh, welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Um, I just wanted to mention that uh, airports don't stop at the large Bravos and Charlies. There's a lot of uh, much smaller ones, and those are some of my favorites. Uh, Palo Alto, for example, is a great place to go watch airplanes land. Uh, Watsonville has a wonderful fly-in restaurant. Um, so I would just love like Watsonville to, you know, has a fly-in up. restaurant. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's a lot of fun. So that's like if you're doing general aviation, right, where you're like piloting your own plane. Yeah. You just like you you go there and <laughs> just in stop and in for a burger. Park at the restaurant. Yep. Uh, wow. You can do that. Half Moon Bay has a great one. If you if you fly to Half Moon Bay, you can park and then walk down to the beach. Wow. You know, do you have your own plane? I don't have my own plane, but I'm a member of a flying club. A flying club. Okay. Yeah, yeah, there's always, you know, that vision. Sometimes when I was, you know, listening to Matt talk about that vision of the small electric plane, I kind of thought like, well, you know, that was there was this vision of general aviation way back, uh, you know, in the middle of the 20th century where lots of people would have been flying and, you know, we would have had tons of small airports instead of these few big ones. What's your um, favorite uh, small general aviation airport outside of the Bay Area? Sorry, are you asking me? Or oh, yeah, you... yeah, okay. yeah, 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 um, uh, Outside of the Bay Area, um, San Luis Obispo, I really like that. It's not quite as small. Uh, it's a lot, they've got a great FBO there with free ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Hey, thank you, uh, Ben. I appreciate that. Let's bring in Max from Davis. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. What's your favorite oh. airport? Yeah. Um, my favorite airport is it's actually hard. To, it's only for one reason. It's not really my favorite, but I think it's really cool that SeaTac has a meditation room. And mm-hmm. since sleeping looks a lot like meditation, I can get away with sleeping there, and no one else is in there. <laughs> you know, rest, Harriet uh, Baskis. I feel like getting rest in an airport is one of these really important things. Have you seen other ways that airports have done it that that work well? Absolutely. I wanted to bring that up. Um, Some of the big international airports actually have like sleeping chairs. And I think in the first place, it might have been Singapore or um, where they had a timer um, in the chair, because that's what you're worried about. You're going to fall asleep and miss your flight. So there was lounge Uh chairs with timers. Brilliant. Um, More and more in this country, you've got, um, we're beginning, and I think we'll have more now, like a Minute Suites is a brand that's expanding to different airports where there are little self-contained cabin type things that you rent by the hour or by four hours where you can rest and some of them have showers. Um, There's also, I'm not sure if I'm not, if I'm pronouncing it right, Jabberbox, um, which is bringing back this thing. They're literally like um, I think some companies had them quiet boxes that you can just go in and close the door and nap or do have a quiet conversation. Um, those types of things are available. And then there's hotels that are nearby airports or in the airports, which will let you rent kind of by the day part. Wow. Yeah. Um couple more uh, listener comments on um, amenities, attractions, and nostalgia in the airport. Janet writes, years ago, I used to travel regularly between New York and Washington for business. At DCA, now called Reagan National, there were mobile 
manicures in the gate area. A traveler could get a quick manicure without leaving my seat, my baggage, or people in my travel party. I never miss an announcement for a gate change or delay. Also in that same um, vein, something I, when I had the cash to do it, getting one of those little massages, <laughs> like the massage kiosk. Uh, always love that. Uh, Carol writes, uh, layover surprise in Atlanta a glass case display about MLK, including a mannequin wearing one of his actual suits, shirts, and shoes. I've never forgotten standing there, seeing the actual size and shape of the man. Herod, I wanted to um, come back to you on this because I know that one of your favorite things is kind of airport uh, museums. What's the sort of, what are a couple of the best airport museums and sort of like displays that you've seen? Well, Las Vegas airport has a, great aviation stuff. Howard Hughes had his airline out of there. So you can see a lot of Howard Hughes stuff and the uniforms that the flight attendants would wear. I think someone earlier called them hostesses, but the flight attendants are crew members. Um, Milwaukee Airport has a great aviation museum um, right in the airport. I know San Francisco has an aviation library and museum over there. Um, I really like that. And more and more there are airport wide museum collections. So like Phoenix airport has an airport art collection or an airport museum that has spreads art throughout the terminals. So more and more airports are using their 1% for 1% for art money from construction projects to put in both small artwork and large pieces like Salt Lake City has a great one. Yeah, Annie from San Francisco, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm actually um, dovetailing on exactly what you just said. I appreciate the exhibits at SFO. I think they're a great way for families, especially, to kill time while they're waiting for a flight. You know, they're educational and they open people's minds up to art. And I also wanted to just add something on the uh, climate change thing. People can cut down their flights instead of just not flying for the rest of their lives. I canceled four flights in the last year. And huh? if we all did that, we would all help the planet, just yeah. cutting down our flights. Did you not take the trips or did you find another means <clears throat> of transport? I did not take the trips. I just thought to myself, do I really need to do this trip? No, I can do this in six months or a year. And now my priorities are family. My brother is not well. And mm. so I made this trip out to San Francisco to see him because I just really shuffled my priorities and that's when I fly when it's really something crucial like that. Cause with zoom, you know, we can all connect online. We don't have to get on a plane and spew new, new exhaust and emissions into the air. So I don't think we all have to say we're never flying again, but I think we all need to really think long and hard about every flight that we might want to make yeah. and ask, do we really want need to make it? Yeah, thanks so much. I, I appreciate that perspective, Annie. Um, I wanted to uh, ask one more thing of uh, Fair Young. What's something that you wish you could have done at SFO with the Harvey Milk Terminal that you weren't able to, to get done this time? Fair, Good can question. you hear me? Uh, yes, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, I was saying a good question. I, um, it's funny. Um, we were just talking about how to create these immersive environments. And one thing that we still sort of fondly talk about is this 
um, sort of sound immersion thing, again, to get you into a different headspace, to take you out of either the moment of anxiety or get you excited about your trip. But there was a, a moment in time when we were talking about creating this uh, sound immersive environment, you know, maybe a connecting point between A and B. And again, it has nothing to do with the efficiency or the operation of your travel. It was just to give you something of delight. Um, but we, we didn't get to do it. Well, next time. A um, couple of just really wonderful comments I, I want to read. Um, Colin writes, a little different perspective from a corporate pilot. Kansai International Airport off the coast of Osaka in Japan is truly an oasis. The architecture is sublime. Food selection is of great variety. The efficiency of the infrastructure is masterful. And the staff is as professional as they come. My personal favorite part is the view from the flight deck window on final approach to the eastbound runways. And we do have a couple of great stories just about the sort of kindness of uh, strangers. Michelle writes, An airport unexpectedly became a part of my personal history. On August 3rd, 2004, I was stuck between flights at Chicago O'Hare when I found out over the phone that my sister had died. I was weeping in a public place, and total strangers were incredibly kind, helping me through until I was on a flight home. A year later, I placed a single rose at the airport terminal where I received the news. Wow, thanks for sharing that with us, Michelle. And one more from a listener. I was getting off a long-haul flight with my two young kids, which, man, that's tough, and my daughter had gone boneless, literally flopped down at the gate, blocking the jetway and would not stop crying. One guy muttered, I hope that kid's not on my flight. No, God, everyone knows that guy. And then a woman, a little older than me, came up and said, hang in there, Mom. You're doing a good job. I almost started crying myself. Even in the stress of an airport, people can be remarkably kind. We've been talking about airports. We've been joined by Matt Needham, firm-wide aviation and transportation director for HOK, an architectural design firm. Farrah Young, project manager at San Francisco International Airport, who led the Harvey Milk Terminal 1 project. And Harriet Vasquez, a freelance travel journalist and author of the blog, Stuck at the Airport. Thanks so much to all three of you. Stay tuned for another hour ahead of Forum with Mina Kim. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, Tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. 
Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts.